Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth is stranger than fiction. This week's episode, entitled Whipped Cream, has my dad and I sitting down to dinner to discuss my stolen inheritance and to meet his new wife, Winnie. After an indecent incident with some whipped cream, I storm out. What follows is a comedy of errors that results in me rethinking my relationship with my father. Whipped cream. It's early spring. I'm 32 years old. I've just parked my beat-up old Dodge van in the waterfront section of Boston, and I'm headed for the Chart House, a venerable old upscale restaurant housed in a colonial brick building. I've come here to meet my father and his new wife. They have flown all the way from Vero Beach, Florida, which he calls Zero Beach because nothing ever happens there. If my father has a saving grace, it's his sense of humor. He married Winnat not long after my mother's death, and I was so outraged that I skipped the wedding in protest. This will be the first time I've seen him since then. As I enter the restaurant, all mahogany, polished brass, and framed antique sea charts, I can't help but think of all the reasons I shouldn't be here. I really hate my father. He's done so many unforgivable things, like telling me at age 16 that he'd had a mistress for a decade, or forgetting to tell me at age 18 that my best friend Larry had been killed in Vietnam because he thought it might have a negative impact on my grades, or telling me countless times that I'd never make a living as an artist. But the biggest sin of all is recent. He cut me out of my half of the proceeds from the sale of my family's home that my mother left to me. I'm here to rectify this tonight. I have to keep reminding myself. Lost in thought, I've come to a stop in the middle of the restaurant my mind ticking off the reasons why I shouldn't be here. When a waiter asks, Is everything okay, sir? I snap out of it and see my father at a table in the back of the restaurant, discreetly waving. No Winnie in sight. Surely a good omen for my mission to secure my inheritance. Walking to the table, again my brain starts whizzing. I tell myself to keep it together, eyes on the prize. Down deep, though, I know I'm on a fool's mission. After I make my pitch, he'll give me the usual, I'll think about it, which always means no. He extends his hand across the table. We both shake firmly. Our table is square, with crisp white tablecloth and artfully folded napkins. I sit opposite him, noticing that he's pulled a chair from the side next to himself. So where's Winnie, I ask. She'll be coming. She's waiting in our room at the hotel next door. This is way before cell phones, so they must have prearranged the time for her to make her entrance. You know, she's a little nervous to meet you. Then he can't resist saying, After all, you did boycott the wedding. At which point I lose it. Really, Dad? Really? You marry a woman you've hardly known for five minutes after Mom's death because you can't take care of yourself? You're lonely, so you marry the first woman you meet? My voice is dripping with contempt. I think, Greg, get a hold of yourself, man. This is totally counterproductive. Winnie is amazing, he says. You'll see. Yeah, probably half your age. No, she's not. Winnette is five years younger than me. This is the first surprise of the evening. Everything about his move to Florida was so cliched. 
Surely he'd married some southern cutie. And she said waitress at Wolfie's Delicatessen in Miami. There's no situation she can't handle. You'll definitely like her. I doubted that, but I did get myself back under control and responded, Well, I'm glad to hear that. Before Wynette arrives, there's something I'd like to discuss. He agrees. And so I lay out my whole case. Mom worked hard in her real estate job and for years added money to the family account. She cleverly traded up house to house so that the final family home had some real value. She easily created more than her half of the value of the house. He interrupted at that and said, no way she covered half the cost. I refused to take the bait and continued. And, I said emphatically, she left me half the house. Just because of some weird provision of the New York State divorce law, mom's wishes should not be ignored. The law was written to keep husbands from leaving the family fortune to their girlfriends and not their wives. She left me half, it's mine fair and square, and I could really use the money. Then, of course, comes his standard response. I'll think about it. And he adds, But regardless, you should give up this fantasy of making a living as a sculptor. And that was it. Almost as if on cue, Wynette arrives, and he and I both stand up. She is what used to be called a handsome woman, tall, in good shape, with a classic auburn red bouffant hairdo. She comes over to me, and while I stick out my hand, she ignores it and warmly embraces me, saying in a good-natured tone, So, Greg, we finally get to meet. She then goes around and sits next to my father, but I notice that she didn't kiss him. I was too uptight to understand, but I think she just didn't want to rub my nose in their intimate relationship, at least not yet. After we order, she starts with a series of predictable questions. So how's the art going? I respond, it's a struggle. Well, you're so talented, I'm sure you'll succeed. The questions continue. I hear you've built a new studio. I answer yes. She continues, are you seeing anyone? After my next answer, she continues, so do you have any travel plans for the near future? Actually, I do, I respond. Two weeks of kayaking in the Allagash Wilderness Area in northern Maine. The food is excellent. We share a nice bottle of Chardonnay that is way above my price limit. Then comes dessert. My father and I each go for the creme brulee. Winnie has a slice of apple pie with whipped cream on top. As she cuts with her fork, a dollop of whipped cream ends up on the back of her hand, at which point my father takes her hand raises it to his lips, and uses his extended tongue to lick away the whipped cream from between her fingers. My response is a surprise, total, immediate, and visceral. I feel like retching with disgust. All my attempts at reserve and control disappear. I jump up, pull out my wallet, and throw down four twenties on the table, which is both an overpayment and all the money I have. Then I flee the restaurant. I'm so blown away by my own reaction that I have no memory of driving back to my studio. None. After that night, there are many calls from my father for many days, which all go unanswered. I successfully keep him banished from my mind, and before long, I'm in the Allagash, the prow of my sea kayak, knifing through the waters of Eagle Lake. The trip couldn't have been better. Coyotes, golden eagles, timber wolves, bull moose, Canada geese, 
I experienced the whole gamut of the wilderness, and I don't think of my father a single time. When I arrive home from the trip, rested with a clear head, I sit before my answering machine and press the play button. The first message takes my breath away. Call number one. Greg, it's Winnie. Your father's had a massive heart attack and we don't think he's going to make it. Please call right away. I am instantly in panic mode. Call number two. Greg, your father's still in intensive care after the operation and he's hanging on by a thread. Michelle is flying in later today. We could arrange for you to speak to him one last time, but you'll have to call back right away. My breath quivers, and now tears start to flow. Call number three. Greg, whatever your differences you've had with your father, you should put them aside and call me. He's in critical condition, for Christ's sake. My heart is beating out of my chest. Call number four. Greg, I'm relieved to tell you your father has stabilized why won't you call us back? My breathing levels off and my heartbeat starts to decline. Call number five. This is your father. Really? I have a major heart attack. I'm at death's door and you can't even bother to call? I can tell by his tone that he's actually laughing under his breath. I smile too. It is at this moment of good humor that I realize, in spite of everything, I do love my father. Deeply and I don't want him to die. I also realized that both my sisters had to deal with this cliffhanger for two full weeks when they lived, worried, and suffered through the crisis, day after day, 24-7. My suffering lasted only a couple of minutes. The second lesson learned is that if you're going to have a family crisis, I strongly recommend the two-minute version over the two-week one. In the end, I never got my half of the house. As a consolation, my father bought one of my sculptures, and I decided I'd go with that. Compulsive Storyteller is written by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kakoma, who has also composed this week's music and made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to the Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And if you would leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more information at TheCompulsiveStoryteller.com Thanks for listening, and if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story.